the book of Acts. We left last week in Acts chapter 15 with, uh, with the James deciding on how the Gentiles should receive salvation by what? Grace. grace and grace alone. And he sent a letter out and went back to, uh, went back to Antioch that, that don't try to don't try to force all of your religion on them. This is about their relationship with Jesus Christ by grace alone. And so everything got back to normal. In verse 35, Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch preaching and teaching with many others also the word of the Lord. That's awesome. Things were nice and quiet in the, in the, the church and, the, and things should not be quiet in the church. God should always be doing something, right? And so we're going to come to, uh, beginning in verse 36 of chapter 15 of the book of Acts, we're going to be, come to a place where God's telling them, get out of your comfort zone. All right, so folks, get out of your comfort zone. Because God wants us moving forward. And sometimes God directs us in unusual ways. Anybody ever get frustrated because God said no? Right? I, pray, I prayed for that and God said no. So we're going to look at that today because God's going to tell Paul no. Today. So let's pick up at Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36, uh, down to the end of 15. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city which we proclaim the word of God and see how they are. And Barnabas wanted to take John, who's called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And he traveled through Syria to Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Wait a second. You can have disagreements in church? I mean, it was a big one, too. Two very strong-willed men. Couldn't, couldn't come to an agreement. Well, the, the great thing about this is, is it took them out of their comfort zone. Notice who Paul went to. Paul went to Barnabas. Hey, let's go back. Let's, let's repeat our first missionary journey. Remember, they went and sailed to Cyprus and then went up. and He said, let's go back and do that again. Barnabas, you're my good friend. They'd been, at this point, they'd been together about 14 years. Off and on, they, they'd, and Paul had become the premier preacher, and Barnabas was the 
encourager. But Paul didn't need encouragement anymore. God had strengthened him to the point that he became the leader. And so Barnabas goes, I, I'm an encourager. I need somebody to encourage. And who better than my cousin John Mark? Because, you know, he did kind of flake out on the first missionary journey. But I think God has potential for him. And this disagreement leads to doubling the ministry. Because now Paul's got a dilemma. He, he needed a traveling companion. Silas had come up. Remember, Silas was one of the men that brought James' letter up to Antioch, and he decided to stay in Antioch. And so Paul says, all right, Silas, come on. You're a good preacher. Let's, let's, let's go. And Barnabas takes John, Mark, and, and Barnabas does exactly what they said they were going to do. He's going to sail to Cyprus and start that circuit again. John, and, and Paul, he goes north and on foot, traveling and preaching. And they had to deal with this issue of John Mark. Now, Sometimes we take pretty strong stances because it, back in Acts chapter 13, when John Mark left, this is what it says. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Pathos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now there didn't seem to be a problem at that time. I don't know whether Paul didn't like John Mark or thought he was a lightweight or, you know. But that word that is used there that he left them is just the common word for, yeah, he went, his, he went, back, to, went back home. He got homesick. But when Paul and Barnabas talk about it, here, what, did, what does the verse say in verse 38? It says, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them. Wow, that's a pretty strong word to use to describe this poor homesick kid that decided he wanted to go back to Jerusalem. That was the, that was the essence of this, I can't trust him. But, but Barnabas, he's the guy, he trusts everybody. He says, ah, oh, don't worry about that. When Paul came to Jerusalem the first time, remember, after he had gotten saved and started preaching in Damascus and had those three years out in the backside of the desert, and he comes down, nobody wanted to listen to Paul, but who came alongside of him? Barnabas. Barnabas heard his story and says, we, you can trust him, and if you don't trust him, trust me, because I'm trusting him. And he's doing the same thing with John Mark, but Paul's like... Talk to the hand. I'm not, you know, right? I'm not doing it. So they, so they set off. And John, John, oops, let's go back there. Okay, there we go. Uh, I got to hit the right button. So their first trip, they left Antioch. They went down. They came across to Cyprus, and they went up to Perga, and they made this circle, and then they came back. That's the exact path that Barnabas and Mark are going to take. But Paul and Silas, they start here in Antioch. They go north. They are, they're on foot. 
Where does he visit first? Tarsus. That's his hometown. Hey, let's go back and see how the church is that I started umpteen years ago. How are they doing? And, and then they go backwards. There's Derby. That was the last place. And they came back through Lystra. We remember Lystra because Lystra is the place that Paul got stoned and left for dead. So they're, they're, they had been... They had been doubling up on what they were doing. So let's, uh, boy, I went way, way, way ahead. There we go. So now let's go and see what happens once they get on their journey. 16, oops, we got to go. What did I do? Wow. I got to watch that's. What did you guys feed this thing this morning? It's like on turbo drive. So, so now let's see what happens when they leave and go on this trip. Let's, let's look at verses 1 through 5 of chapter 16. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted this man to go with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. And they passed through, this is a, this is a hard one, Phrygian and Galatia region, having been forbidden by the Spirit of the Lord, uh, the Spirit of the Holy Spirit, excuse me, uh, to speak the word in Asia. We're gonna, we'll stop there. So they're moving on. They're on, their, they're on their road trip. They come through and they find a guy by the name of Timothy. Isn't it amazing? Paul always does this. In all of his books, you're going to see, oh, and so-and-so's here and so-and-so's here. And I'm going to send them over here to preach. They were young preachers who, came, who Paul would come alongside and train them up. Timothy becomes his intern. And look what it says about Timothy. It says a couple things. First, it says that Timothy is a disciple. Now normally, what does he call people? They're believers. Is there a difference between a believer and a disciple? Oh yeah, there is. A believer is somebody, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. A disciple is, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins, that he rose again, that I could have heaven, and I'm a follower of his and everything he says to do. That's a disciple. And that was Timothy. And Timothy, you know, he had a really good team behind him because in... uh, or in 2 Timothy 2, it tells us that his mother 
Eunice and his grandmother Lois raised him. Two godly women. Now ladies, that's where you come in, right? If you'll raise up your children and your grandchildren to love Jesus. And, and that's what they did and they raised Timothy up. And the other thing that it says about him in this is that he was well spoken of in the church. Well spoken of. And I think that's important. When somebody comes to your church, comes to Eastside, and they say, oh, I, I, have, a, I have a problem or I have a need. You know, I, I need somebody to pray for me. Now, if somebody walked through these doors today and, and said, I need somebody to pray for me, most of you are going in your head going, oh, I know who I'm going to send them to. Because they're a prayer warrior. Or if they have some other need, your mind goes, oh, I know who I need to send them to. That's when you're well spoken of in the church. That's who you're going to send them to. The person that, that in the church says, I know what my spiritual gift is and I'm going to use it. You know, I know who I need to go to. If I want to get something done here, I, I'm like going, I know who has a spiritual gift of service. And that's who I'm going to call up. He was well spoken of in the church. And he decided to go with them. And they're doing, I mean, it tells us that they're carrying James' letter with them. And everywhere they go, they say, this is James' letter. This is James' instruction from the church in Jerusalem to, to the Gentiles. They're in Gentile country. And as they go, they're delivering this letter, and they would make a copy of it, and then it would go on to the next church. That's the same thing they did when Paul would write a letter. He would write a letter to Colossae, and then it would go over to Philippi, and, and maybe to Ephesus, and then it would go to Antioch and Pisidia. It would get passed around so that people could could have a copy. And, and Timothy's like going, okay. Now remember, this isn't like going to summer camp. The first, their first trip, two years. Paul, this is, Paul goes and he preaches for months at a time at a church. And so Timothy's saying, all right, I, I'm, I'm game. And he learned, I mean, he, Paul has, Timothy really becomes the son that he never had. And he just invests himself in him as this intern. So they're going to go on, 6 through 9, they're going to continue on, and God's going to do an interesting thing. He's going to close doors. We all, most of us do what? We pray for Open doors, right? Hey, God, open a door. Paul's like going, I'm headed this way. And God says, nope, door's shut. So let's look at verses 6 through 9. They passed through Fergion and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And they came to Mysia, where they were trying to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And they passed by Mysia 
And they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So Paul is being pushed by God in the direction he wants him to go. Now once again we go back to our map and they are, they're leaving here and he wants to go back down the way he came. This was the first trip. He wanted to go, this is Asia Minor down here. He wanted to go back the way he came. But who was going that, who was coming the other direction? Barnabas and John Mark. They had sailed to Cyprus and that's where that's where the Bible kind of leaves it. We don't see Barnabas again. We do see Mark. We see Mark becoming a man of God, a preacher. And, uh, but they're going to come up. And so God says, there's no need, to, no need for you to do that, Paul. I don't want you to go south. Sorry. And so they head on. And they're, they're headed this way. And Paul says, oh, I want to go up here to Bithynia. I want to go north. And what does God say? Nope. Is that frustrating? Nope, shut the door, shut the door. Where does that leave him? He's got to go west. Go west, young man. And so it says... That this place over here in Macedonia, this is Greece down here. Macedonia, a little place called Philippi is where they're going to end up. But he says, I want you to go there. That's, I want you to come help us in Macedonia. And so as Paul's looking at this, he says, what do you do? What do you do when God says no. What do you do? I have, most of you know we have two big dogs. Grizz is my, he's my big boy. He's 140 pounds. And, and every once in a while, uh, we, we'll get brave and we'll say, hey, let's go to uh, a coastal farm. They like coastal farm. And, and, and we'll, we'll take our dogs there. And I'll say, okay, Grizz, I want to go this way. And he doesn't want to go that way. And you know what he does? He sits down. And, and, and what do I have? There's nothing you can do. You get your treats out, and you're like going, okay, let's, I hope I can get them out of the store, right? That's what most of us do. When God shuts a door and says, no, what do we do? We sit down. Okay, God. I'm not going anyplace until you open a door. That's not what Paul did. Paul just, he Steve keeps going. He says, okay, God, if I can't go down here, I want to go up here. God says, nope. Okay, God. And he makes it all the way to the Aegean Sea before God sends him the vision to say, go to Macedonia, across the Aegean Sea. That's where I want you to go. See, when we say go, God doesn't want us just to stop and sit and, and, and pout. He wants us to keep going forward. 
Uh, Psalms 37, 23. The steps of a wise man are established by the Lord and he delights in his way. The steps of a wise man. It doesn't say the sitting down of a wise man or sitting down of a man is established by the Lord. No. He said the steps. You see, the Christian life is designed to always move forward. You ever read, read the, uh, the armor of God in, in Ephesians, right? Helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, feet shod. Do you realize that when you read that, there's nothing on your backside? That's because God doesn't expect you to be going that way. He wants you to be going forward into the battle, not running away, not sitting down. He says the whole thing is to continue to move forward, and God will direct you as you go. There are, there are times when you can do more good for God in the incidental movement of going forward than you would have if you would have gone the wrong direction. Because God will, as he leads you, he opens up doors. I can guarantee you that, that, that uh, Paul and Silas were preaching along the way because that's what they did. Every place they went. So they get, to, they get to Troas and they're getting called by the Macedonian man. So let's look at then 10 through 21. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we, and I'm going to stop there for just a second because this is the interesting part of the book of Acts. Who's it written by? Luke. Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke writes the Gospel of Luke and he writes the book of Acts. We discovered that in the beginning. He's writing it to Theophilus. He joins him. And you'll watch the we here. Before it was always they, Luke has joined them. And Luke, this becomes the, the eyewitness account. The stuff before is all things that Paul told him or other people told him. Now he's traveling with Paul as his private physician. And when, the, we, when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on that day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. We sat down and began speaking to the women who were assembled. And a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart and she responded to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay here. 
and she prevailed upon us. And it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having the spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. And following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bond servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews and are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or observe being Romans. So our journey has continued. We've crossed the Aegean Sea. Here's Troas. They went and they came to Neapolis, which is just a little port city about six miles from Philippi, and they come to Philippi. Now we have a letter, right? The book of Philippians, which Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And this church, it tells us a couple things about it. One, it was a Roman colony. Now, this is unlike most other cities in that it had Roman law. When Rome would defeat a country, uh, most of theirs, would do, they would they would over, oversee it. But in a colony, it would be governed directly by Rome. And so this place is, is an important place for Rome. It's also on the trade route from, from Rome to go to, to Philippi, and then they would go across the Aegean Sea, and it was the way east. So it was a trade city. And as we see Paul, Paul gets there, what is, what's the first thing that Paul does when he gets to a city? He goes to the synagogue. But there's no synagogue. And, and this is going to play into this whole thing. You ever wondered why he went to the river? You ever thought about that? So the only way you can have a synagogue is to have ten just a second, 10 Jewish men could start a synagogue. They didn't even have 10 Jewish men in all of Philippi. And so Paul says, okay, let's go to the place of prayer. So he went to the river. Why? Because the Jewish people had to be cleansed by living water. By living water. Now what does that mean? It had to be flowing. So it couldn't just be like, you know, we, we would, you stop up a sink. You ever, you ever do this? You stop up a sink and you wash your hands in the sink. 
And what does the water look like? Muddy. Especially if you've been out in the garden, right? So the Jewish tradition required living water so water would flow in and flow out. And in the tabernacle, they would, they would create a, a way for water to flow. Well, if you don't have, if, or excuse me, a synagogue, if you don't have a synagogue, where, where's water that flows? At the river. So they would go down to the river where there was living water to cleanse themselves. And then they would pray. So what does he find when he gets down to the river? There aren't ten Jewish men, but who's there? Oh, some ladies, some women. Women, once again, you're playing an important part here in the church at Philippi. Because Paul didn't find any Jewish men who knew the scriptures. He went to the women. Look what it says about Lydia. Lydia, first of all, she was a worshiper of God. Capital G. Jehovah. She worshipped him. Now, she didn't, may not have known everything that she needed to know, but the second thing you see about Lydia is she listened. When Paul began to speak, she listened. I call those people seekers. Look for people who are seekers. You see, not only did she have this, in, this innate thing within her saying, I, I want to worship the Most High God, but when somebody came and began talking about, oh, let me tell you about who the Messiah is, she listened. You want to, when you are sharing God's word, look for people who are seekers. You know, because you can, there's a lot of times you'll share with somebody and they're like, they, they have, they, they, don't, they could care less about what your faith is. But when you find somebody who's a seeker, they're going to listen. And Lydia listens to the point, and what else does she do? She brings her family, her whole household, her servants. She said, this guy, Paul, he's got the number. You come listen to him. And so what did they do? They baptized the whole family. The whole family got saved. This last week we, we had a, just a joyous time. The, <clears throat> the Metz family, uh, Gary and Betty, their son is, lives in Germany, and in Germany... If you uh, get baptized in the German church, you have to pay taxes because the church in Germany is supported by the state. And so they're over here, they're over here on, uh, on vacation. And so Gary and Betty came and says, hey, we want to have a baptismal service for our family. And so I sat down with them and, and we went through we went through our baptism class, which covers, you know, the, are you sure you're, you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And, and so we, on, on uh, last Sunday afternoon, we went down to Waterloo Park, and we had Bear, uh, Betty got, got baptized, and Brian, their, their bro, uh, Gary's brother, and David, their son, and their two granddaughters. 
Oh, it was a great time. And we're standing there down by the down by the boat ramp baptizing people, and there were people that were there swimming that just stopped and started clapping, and it was a glorious time. Lydia and her family. If you're the first one to get saved in your family, don't give up hope. Just keep living for Christ and, and, and being that witness. Because we're going to see next week, or we, next time we come here, we're going to see, we're going to see the Philippian jailer and his family, his whole household. We saw it with Cornelius. Cornelius got saved and his household. You see, God begins to work in people, and when they, when they listen, God changes their heart. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 says, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but at what it really is, the word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. If you're coming to hear me preach, you're, you're in the wrong place. You need to come hear the words of God preached through me to you. And if we are faithful to share Christ, God will bring you people who need Christ. And this comes to the last part of that where we have this demon-possessed girl. I mean, she's running around saying, these men are preachers of the Most High God. They're here to bring you the, the way of salvation. That's a demon speaking through her. It happened to Jesus in Mark chapter 1. It says, and he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. This is kind of interesting. And, and the interesting part to me is Paul lets it go on. It's free advertisement. Right? We have this demon-possessed lady that says he, they followed him around saying, listen to these guys. They have the way of salvation from the Most High God. Until, of course, he gets annoyed. And then he just turns around and says, in the name of who? Jesus Christ. He didn't say in the name of Paul. In the name of Jesus Christ, come out, and she did. Now, it really, it, it doesn't tell us what happened to this young girl, other than we know she didn't do any more fortune-telling. The guys lost their business. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, in my opinion, this young lady got saved on the spot. I'll tell you why I think that. Number one, she knew that it was truth. It was, these men from, were from who? The Most High God, and they brought what? The way of salvation. Number two, she had followed Paul around, and what did Paul do? He preached the gospel. She heard the gospel every time Paul spoke. And so when the demon came out of her and she was released, I have no doubt that she came to know Jesus. 
Because Jesus changes everything. Changed it for Lydia and her family. Changed it for the demon-possessed girl that was no longer demon-possessed. Changed Timothy's life. He became an itinerant preacher for the rest of his life. You see, Jesus changes everything. On Thursday, I sent out my, my uh, telephone message, one, the one call. And so I always I, I get interested. If I, don't, if I don't send one out, I hear about it next Sunday. <laughs> you didn't send out your Thursday message. On Thursday, I sent out a message, and it was Isaiah 61. Now, folks, I want you to listen to what Isaiah, the, the encouragement Isaiah gives us. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. That's every one of you. Do you realize that? Every one of you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you, and you've been anointed by God. The Holy Spirit anointed you the moment that you got saved. Now, here's what you're to do. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of the spirit of fainting, so that we will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Do you realize none of these is about you? You only get the first verse. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you and you are anointed. Everything else in these three verses is out there. It's for others. For people that are hurting. For people that are bound up with sin. For people that are in their addictions. For people that are in grief for people that are in mourning, for people that are, that are struggling in life. And God says, Jesus, what? Changes everything. We just have to take that message out into a world. We have to take the message out to those people that you pass by in the grocery store. Those people that, the, the barista, the waitress or the waiter, the people out in your next door neighbor. I was at a memorial service yesterday for, for a friend of ours. They asked me to come sing. And the people got up and they said, every time, his name was Will, every time Will went by my house, if I was out working on a project, he would stop and he'd say, what are you doing? And then the next thing you know, he, he was coming over with his paintbrushes or whatever you were doing, and he was right there next to you. That's Jesus in action. And when we realize 
that it can be everything from mentoring a young pastor on the road to taking a demon-possessed girl and casting out the demon. God changes everything. He's given us the power to preach that message to the world. Because most of us know the world needs some changing, doesn't it? And we need to be preaching that change. 